everyone has some sort of a closet that has become too small. A closet is no place to live, and I want to support as many people as I can in stepping out of that prison into the fullness of life that is waiting for them on the other side of that door. This is Nancy Shadlock from Centered Life Coaching. Join me in listening to these coming out chronicles. Get curious about their stories and then go see what good things are waiting for you on the other side of your closet door. Have you ever felt like you weren't enough? Like you weren't spiritual enough or you weren't queer enough or you weren't smart enough? Like you didn't encompass the whole of what you think that persona or image of group of people is. But the crazy thing about it is who, who is like, who is queer enough? Who is spiritual enough? We all feel a little bit less than I think. Today on the show, Heather Morgan is going to share about not being disabled enough. Heather's a parenting life coach and a disability coach and advocate in Barrie, Ontario. As a disabled and neurodiverse individual herself, a large focus of her work centers around issues of disability and neurodivergence in family life and beyond. Heather just celebrated 21 years of surprisingly queer marriage and is also a mom to two disabled neurodiverse LGBT teenagers. Heather is excited to be entering grad school in September and can't wait to see where the coming out journey will continue to take her. You're listening to the Coming Out Chronicles, and I'm Nancy Shadlock, the CEO and founder of Centered Life Coaching, and I hope you really enjoy this episode. I'm so curious to hear what coming out story you've brought, because when we initially talked, you had a few juicy coming out stories that you could share, so... Set the scene for us of the one that you chose to share with us. So about four years ago, um, in 2016, life took a really major shift in my, for me personally, for my family, everything else. So that's, that's the story I want to tell you about. But to tell you that story, I have to go back a long ways. Um, so I was born um, with a very visible but minor looking disability. Uh, it's called club foot. So one of my feet was turned in and down. So if you imagine um, a child who would walk on the top side of their foot as if that was the bottom side of their foot and have it facing mm-hmm. towards the other foot, that's what we're imagining. Um, and so club foot is typically treated quite effectively in early childhood um, usually without too many issues going forward. But I had all sorts of issues. Every time they would do anything, it wouldn't quite work properly. There would be side effects. There would be challenges, uh, what have you. And so my childhood, I had what, what was, it was like I had this very minor disability. And there were other things that didn't work very well as a kid physically, and energy wise and all of those things. So I, I kind of, I kind of always felt like, like maybe I was disabled, but like, like it didn't count enough. 
Um, and this is a feeling a lot of people with chronic disabilities with, with milder in quotes, disabilities mm-hmm. experience. Um, and so they don't feel we, we, I didn't feel like I fit in the disabled category because I didn't use a wheelchair at the time. And I didn't, um, you know, I could be in a regular classroom and all of those things, but, but also nothing worked quite right. And nothing ever worked mm. right, quite right. And I was always in pain. But by the time I hit about 18, because of a combination of way too many surgeries and way too many uh, mistakes uh, by the doctors and things going wrong, um, I, I did get to a point where I could walk without a cane. I had a couple years where I could walk without leg braces. So it sort of felt like, okay, I'm, I'm not disabled. All these other things going on, that's just me, you know, being lazy, me not trying hard enough. I'll, I just have to get more determined. Like, clearly, this is just, Heather's not got this enough. So, so I spent a lot of years just trying really hard. And even when I got leg braces, you know, I, I had gone to physiotherapy. I had learned how to walk pretty smoothly to the point where most people didn't know if they met me and it wasn't summer and extremely hot. Um, you know, I was wearing jeans or trousers or whatever. And so they couldn't see the braces and they didn't know that I was disabled. So it was like, I was in the closet as a disabled person. Um, and most people who knew me didn't know that I was in constant pain. Most people who knew me, uh, even, even like close family members didn't know the level of fatigue and pain that I was dealing with. They were, they were secrets and they were, they were kind of dirty secrets that you didn't want to tell people because they would judge you and they would think less of you and you would get fewer opportunities and you would get passed over for things like those were the things I had learned growing up as a kid, that was what was going to happen. So nope, not going to say it, not going to let on. It's not going to happen. And I was able to fake it sort of with a lot of emotional and stress related consequences until I hit 36. Um, And then about two months after, no, about two weeks after I turned 37, my leg started quaking. At first, it would just be like a little jiggle. Just before, you know, bed, as I was standing to brush my teeth, my leg would just sort of like start to wobble a little bit. And I was like, that's kind of weird. My body does weird things. Just just straighten it out, force it to be proper and behave itself. And we won't tell anyone and nobody has to know. But then it started happening earlier in the day. And then it started happening for longer. And by, Mm. so my birthday's in August, by the middle of October, uh, I got to the point where I woke up one morning and it was like that first thing in the morning. And I thought, I I don't know what's happening. And I got scared. Um, Clearly something was wrong. And I thought, well, maybe, maybe I'm just sick. Maybe I got some virus. I don't know. I'll, I went to bed. I was really, really, really tired as well. And I went to bed and I, I basically operated like I was sick with the flu for about three weeks. Um, basically stayed in bed, got up long enough to feed the kids, put some dishes in the, in the dishwasher, drive the kids to 
school and and that was it. And that seemed to work. After about three weeks, I I got better, which is always the goal, right? And then I had about a week and a half where I was fairly functional. I drove my daughter from Barrie up to Ottawa. We did a thing up there for a couple of days that we'd been planning for months with some friends. I drove home. Um, that's about a five-hour drive for people who don't know Ontario. So 10 hours of driving in like four days, quite a lot of standing. But I did, I did, you know, I brought like a little stool and I sat on it when we were sitting places and we went to a museum and I borrowed a wheelchair. And those are things I I had needed to do off and on for a number of years, but I, I was a little bit more intentional about it this time because I knew something wasn't right. And got home and the symptoms all came back. Only this time they were worse. And so I took myself to the doctor and they sent me off for some tests and none of the tests were obvious or conclusive. And so I was waiting to see a specialist and things kept getting worse. And by the beginning of February, I was an inpatient in a hospital doing like massive numbers of tests. The test didn't show up a clear answer. I got sent to a rehab hospital because they had this theory that it was a functional movement disorder. And so five months of five weeks of rehab was supposed to fix it. I was supposed to go home. I wasn't supposed to need a wheelchair and it didn't. And so by April of 2017, I was home. I could barely get off of the couch long enough to sit up in my wheelchair to eat a meal that somebody else had made. And I was using a wheelchair and uh, qualified for like a permanent long-term custom-made wheelchair. That didn't make things better. Uh, It made things a little teeny tiny bit better over a really long time. But uh, it also didn't answer any questions. And um, over the next few years, the last last few years, we've we've done a lot of doctors and a lot of tests, and we still don't have an answer to this. But we do now know that whatever it is must be genetic somehow, because my kids also have the same condition. Mm. But where this is relevant to you and to your podcast and to your listeners is that it forced me to come out as a disabled person. And we don't talk a lot in wider society about this, but I now do the bulk of my coaching work with people with disabilities. And Mm -hmm. a lot of the work I do is around people coming out as disabled. And so I thought it was a good story for us to talk about. Yeah. Well, I can see so many parallels to other coming out stories that I've heard. I really, the line that really struck me was where you're talking about, I just had to try harder and push myself more and, and, you know, be stronger. It's like, yeah, like people that are in the sexual closet are like, yeah, I just got to have more strength and determination and willpower and do this. And 
it never really works for most people. No, I'm I'm convinced that if we could strike out the I just need to phrase from our vocabularies as human beings, we would all be a lot more mentally healthy, physically healthy, emotionally grounded, relationally healthy yeah. people. Like I just think there's so much there's so much mess that we cause in ourselves and in our relationships because of that phrase. It's I've never seen it be helpful or healthy to anyone. Yeah. That's a great objective. <laughs> I'm going to pay attention to that now whenever I say it. I just need to. Yeah. And my, my solution to that, just to throw it out there, because it's no good to tell people to just do a thing and then mm-hmm. not give them a tool to do it with. <laughs> Especially if the tool is don't say, just do this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, is it, it replace it with something I call compassionate curiosity. So mm. ask the question, I wonder why. I wonder why this is hard for me. I wonder why I'm struggling with this. I wonder whether, like, does this conflict with my values? Does this conflict with the person that I was made to be? Um, like, where's the inconsistency here? Why is this not working? Because in my experience, there's always a reason. There was a reason why I couldn't do the same amount of physical activity that the people around me could do. There was a reason that it took me twice as long to walk across campus when I was pregnant with my kids as it did when I wasn't pregnant with my kids. There were valid reasons for it. And me trying harder or pushing myself wasn't getting to the answer at all. If mm-hmm. I had actually asked that question, then maybe I would have had a wheelchair at 25 instead of at 37. Maybe I would have prevented a lot of the damage I did to my body. Maybe I would have been able to get answers sooner for myself and maybe prevented some of the damage I did that my kids did to their bodies. I mean, like that's the reality is when we don't ask these questions, when we just force our way through, we, we don't end, we, we end up missing really important details, mm-hmm. um, whether it's with ourselves, with our disabilities or abilities, our sexuality, our gender, our parenting, our relationships with our partners. Like, like it, it doesn't matter. It's everybody has these issues if they don't get curious. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really great tool to use to not just delete something, but add something positive in its place. Mm -hmm. So what's your best hope for clients that you work with that are in the stage of coming out about disabilities that may not be so visible in the world? So I think I don't have short answers for you. I'm not good at short answers. I'm good at longer answers. Um, I think that the first thing I hope for is that they can get honest with what their bodies are telling them, that they can re-embody their bodies. Our bodies are smart. They're clever. They know all sorts of things. But we're really good at, at tuning them out and shutting them down. Yeah. And so all of us, all of us, whoever we are, um, Mm -hmm. this is, this is often what happens when, when we have um, genuine 
issues with uh, the way that we put food into our bodies, with the way that we treat our bodies when it comes to exercising way too much or not exercising enough, with the ways in which we, our relationships with sleep, with our relationship, like, like it's everything and it's everyone. It doesn't matter how able-bodied or disabled-bodied you are. Um, I think this is just a cultural issue that we have. Um, and so the first thing I hope for, for my clients, is that they can re-embody and reconnect with their bodies, that they can start to listen to the wisdom of their bodies. Are their bodies tired? Are their bodies thirsty? Are their bodies getting the right nutrients that they need? Because those things often don't change the fact that you're disabled or not disabled. But let's face it, if you're already starting from behind, you don't need to make your life harder. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. um, you know, and and whether whether people are dealing with mental health issues or physical health issues, like sleeping well on a good structure, drinking enough water, eating good healthy food, those are things that are proven to help everyone mm-hmm. feel better, have more energy, be more effective in, in the world that they live in and in the body that they inhabit. So that's the first thing is learn to listen to your body and learn to care for your body. But then, then the second stage is like, like what will you do with that body that you are now listening to? Like, mm-hmm. what do you do with some of those, those like quiet urges that show up? So one of the most common unspoken, unmet needs that people with disabilities often have is, is that they will harbor almost this like secret wish for a mobility aid. And they think that everyone has this wish. Like everyone must want a walker. Everyone must look at a wheelchair with longing. It turns out that that's not the case. (laughs) It turns out that not everyone thinks at 15, you know, I assume I'll have a wheelchair by 25, which is what I, I very consciously remember thinking. I should have had a wheelchair by 25. I probably should have had a wheelchair before 25. It probably would have helped, but I just assumed this was this weird thing. Like everybody wants a wheelchair, right? Like obviously, (laughs) Turns out no, they they don't. And so so I I work really hard with my clients to he- help them hear what is their body longing for, what is it that their body wants, and how do we tap into that longing and that wisdom? You know, maybe it's that they keep thinking like, I wish I could just like chop veggies for dinner sitting on a stool instead of having to stand up. Well, guess what? You could. That's a, that's a thing you could do. Like, like what if we just said yes to that? And, and, and that's, this is that process of getting curious. What if we started saying yes to these ideas that our bodies are bringing forward to us? If we said yes to that stool, would we be more compassionate to the people around the table with us when we were eating that dinner? Would we be able Mm. to give our kids more, 
mental and physical attention after dinner as we were giving them their bath and giving them the story and putting them to bed? Would we be more patient? Would we be more kind? Like what could the ripple effects be of listening to our bodies? Hmm. For years and years and years, I had this idea of a parent that I wanted to be a parent who was gentle, who was patient, who was kind. And I was not that parent. And my kids suffered and my partner relationship suffered and I suffered because of it. But it was because I was trying to do life as if I had a different body than the body I had. And when I took all of those requirements off of my body and said, okay, I'm going to listen to you, body. I'm going to learn how to pace myself. I'm going to learn how to honor what you're telling me. And I'm going to stay within the boundaries that you've set for me. All of a sudden, I was able to be a much more compassionate, much more generous, much Hmm. more gracious person. And I liked myself better. And the people around me liked me a lot better. So everybody wins at that point, right? Yeah. And then I think the, the, the next stage is this idea of pacing that I just mentioned. So, so pacing is this idea of, of not just tapping into those like big longings, those big urges, but like learning to listen every day to all of those symptoms. It's a way of, it's a way of tuning into the very finest um, details of what the body is even whispering to you. So for me, I, I had to learn. We, the goal was to try to get on top of the shaking and quaking because it was dangerous. It was, I was at risk of falls. I was at risk of, of hurting myself and damaging myself. And, and it was using up a lot of extra energy that I didn't have to begin with. And so the goal was to, to find a little tiny window. It started with like 30 seconds where I could be standing and not shaking. And then as soon as I started to feel like I was going to shake, so before the shaking actually happened, I needed to sit back down again. The amount of rest required to extend that was huge. But to figure out, like, what was my body telling me before it was screaming and shouting? Mm -hmm. So anyone who's parented knows that, like, You can wait until your kids are screaming and melting down. That's a parenting option. You can choose, (laughs) but it's then going to take you a long time to resolve the issue. Or you can start to notice your kids like earlier hunger cues, their earlier tired cues. And you can try as much as possible to respond to those earlier on or even proactively so that, you know, you don't have three hour meltdowns (laughs) because they're not always the most fun way to spend an afternoon. (laughs) So if you can do the same thing with your body, that's what we're looking at. Right. And so it's things like, um, I started to notice that my tongue would get a little bit tingly a couple minutes before I got shaking. I was like, Oh, I wonder what would happen if I started to rest when my tongue got tingly instead of when I got shaky. So that helped. And then we moved it back again. And then we moved it back again. And we just kept moving it back until I'm at the point now where I haven't stood up and been shaky basically at all in a year. Wow. 
because I'm now functioning within that range. And because that's a sign of having like way overextended myself, um, I'm now resting enough every day that I don't put myself into that exhaustion stage. And I now have um, a a full power chair that tilts and it reclines. So I can now go out and I can be part of, you know, day long events and I can, manage my energy and fatigue. I can lay back when I need to. I can put my feet up when I need to. I can manage my circulation issues. I can do all of those things because I've I've now learned this is what my body needs to be able to be functional. And mm. so I've gone from being essentially non-functional on the couch three years ago, um, barely able to watch Netflix, not able to speak really, not able to listen really, not able to have a phone conversation at all, no Skype or Zoom. Like, you know how you're having Zoom fatigue right now? Take that and multiply it by like a thousand. Like I could stay on a Zoom call for about 30 seconds and then I was dead uh, for the rest of the day. And now I can function. I mm-hmm. can do things. I can I can work again. I can be out in the community for a day. We can, we can go places and do things and I'm okay. But to get to being okay, I first had to come out to myself and to those around Mm -hmm. me as disabled. I had to own my disabilities. And that's really hard to do when you don't have a diagnosis. It's really hard to do when you do have a diagnosis, but it's even harder to do without one. Um, (laughs) And I think our world, like we really like the structure and the format of being able to say, this is, this is a problem because, you know, right. it was way this easier for me to own what was going on in, in my marriage when I came out as queer. It was way easier for me to own what was going on in terms of social interactions when I realized I was autistic. It was so much easier to function in my body when I realized I was disabled, even though I didn't get to have a label to attach to it. Right. And it sounds like that listening deeply to yourself, to your longings, to your desires, to your needs, and then like kind of reparenting and making sure that you're taking care of yourself within that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It became critical. Amazing. I'm so glad that, you have energy now to share because there's so many people that need this insight. And so it's so awesome that you're helping so many people with long-term disabilities or things that are hidden that they can learn how to interact in the world in a way that is more life-giving. Yeah. That's, that's the hope. This episode of the coming out Chronicles was brought to you by centered life coaching. We help you know yourself, to free yourself, and be yourself, so you can live the fullest expression of who you really are. Stay tuned, there's more to come in this episode. It's always always scary, though, to start a coming out journey, isn't it? Like totally, yeah. So that that's always the hard thing for people is like, do I count? Am I valid? Am I? I mean, I'm sure you hear this in your practice. 
Am mm-hmm. I queer enough? Am I, am, am I trans enough? Am I this mm-hmm. enough? Am I that enough? Like we all wonder, like, do I count? Am I valid? And uh, unless like, like we're so used to waiting for a professional to validate <laughs> and to give us like, like a stamp of approval, like, yes, you are a valid disabled person. You have a real thing. It's really, really hard to step out and say, you know, I have been to doctors for eight years now and I've known that there was something wrong with me since I can't remember when. And, and everybody says I'm fine. All the test results keep coming back fine. But this is the most common experience of disability I have ever heard. This is so common among folks with uh, autoimmune conditions, with POTS, with um, MCAS, with with so there's so many conditions, EDS, um, uh, ME, that are all in this category of really, really challenging to diagnose, and our our the way our acute care healthcare system is set up, it doesn't leave a lot of good spaces for people with chronic underlying conditions um, to get the help that they need. And they don't have a lot of that compassionate curiosity in a lot of doctor's offices to ask the questions they need. But whether you've been diagnosed or not, if you are longing for a walker, if you wish you could use a stool when you made a meal, if you if you look at wheelchairs and you go, man, I wish I had one of those. I just want you to hear today, that is a really good sign that you should explore your disability identity because mm-hmm. that's not the norm. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing, for example, that you have never longed for a power wheelchair, Nancy. No, I haven't. I can identify a little bit with the chopping the vegetables, but I think I mostly like to sit at the table and chop vegetables so I can be next to my kids. Not necessarily because my legs are about to give up. Yeah. And that's also valid, right? We have all Mm -hmm. sorts of reasons for wanting things. Yeah. But I am finally at a place, not only am I at a place where I can work again um, and I can be... uh, a genuine part of my community again, you know, contributing uh, with, you know, the gifts and the talents and the abilities that I have. Um, I serve on a couple of boards. I um, volunteer in a couple of spaces and I can do that now. Um, Mm. We, we are just about finished building a fully accessible home. We move in in five weeks, which is very exciting um, and in the, I, I got my power wheelchair in December and we got, a, an accessible van that I can drive into, lock myself in place, transfer and drive myself places. Wow. Um, so all of that just happened last week. So last week was the first time in four years that I was able to independently run errands by myself. Mm, that's gotta be an amazing feeling. And when the house closes in a month, uh, I will be able to do that from my bed. So I will be able to transfer straight from my bed into my chair 
and do my entire day from that chair, kitchen, laundry, bathroom, office, everything fully accessible, Um, which I can't do in this house right now. I can use my manual wheelchair on the main floor, but I can't get it upstairs to my bedroom or anything like that. Uh, And I can't bring the power chair into the house. It just, it doesn't, mm, it doesn't work that way. Um, So, so as I look forward, like for me, we, we moved July 30th. For me, July 30th is sort of like the first day of my, the next chapter of my life. Um, and apparently I'm getting excited about that and starting to think new, I, I feel myself like opening up mentally, like there's new creative ideas, there's new concepts. I'm, I'm thinking about starting a podcast with a friend about disability and theology. Um, I applied to grad school last week. Wow. Um, which I've wanted to do for years, but just could not mentally conceptualize doing that at all. Um, I have have some learning disabilities that probably go along with the condition that I have, um, including um, I probably have dyslexia. And I finally have mental space to think about like going and getting some coaching around uh, reading so that reading can be less of a chore. And, um, you know, with the van, I can now go and get physiotherapy that I need and I can go and, uh, see a speech language pathologist to hopefully stop choking every time I try to eat something or, you know, breathe, uh, because that happens sometimes. (laughs) Uh, I haven't had a, a, hour-long coughing fit in a while, but it's still a thing that sometimes happens and something gets stuck in my throat and I just, I don't cough well enough to get it out, but I haven't been able to deal with it because I can't get to someone to help me sort that out. So it, it really feels like all of the, all of the new, like this, this whole new vista of possibilities exists now. Because mm-hmm. I was determined and and took the risk of coming out, and there's there's a small chance that we might have finally tracked down the right doctor to see, and there is a a small chance that uh, we might be able to get a diagnosis once COVID rules lift and we can go and be seen in person. There's this. Still, you know, it, it's Canada, the healthcare system, you know, it'll be months, months once the referral gets sent in and COVID restrictions lift before <laughs> we get seen. So I'm not right. like holding my breath on that at all, but um, we're close enough to something that we can still, we can start to operate off of that um, assumption. We, we had a success finally with some pain meds uh, that mean I am not constantly in pain for the first time in 40 years. So, wow. yeah, that happened like two months ago and I'm still like giddy about it. <laughs> <laughs> so much extra energy. So much extra mental energy, physical energy, just like just so much less stress. Like yeah. everybody else has spent COVID feeling like more restricted and more stressed and more limited. And I'm like, 
oh my goodness, I got my van. I got my wheelchair attached to my van. I found pain meds. I might have a diagnosis and my house (laughs) is almost ready. This has been the best year ever. And I feel a little guilty, but also, yeah, it's a, it's a nice feeling. Yeah. Wow. I'm sure that there's many people listening to this who can identify with a lot of what you're saying. Where can they find you? They can find me at uh, poweredbylove.ca. Okay. Uh, look me up. Heather on, Morgan. Yep. Heather Morgan. And I'm, I'm on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter as well, but that's, that's, that's what to look for. Poweredbylove.ca. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us, Heather. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. It was fun. You bet. Thanks for listening to the Coming Out Chronicles. If you enjoyed it and you think it would be helpful for someone else, please share it with them. If you'd like to connect with me, reach out on social. I'd love to support you in the next chapter of your coming out story. I can help you know yourself, free yourself, and be yourself. Until next time, this is Nancy Shadlock from Centered Life Coaching.